0: I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and you're listening to The Goop Podcast, made possible by our friends at Bolthouse Farms Plant Protein Milk.
1: Hi guys, it's Elise Lunan, Goop's Chief Content Officer. Every Thursday on The Goop Podcast, GP or I sit down with provocative thinkers, industry disruptors, and culture changers. We talk about shifting old paradigms and starting new conversations. Today, we have a special Monday episode that we're really excited to share with you. It's actually two episodes, really, featuring two different conversations that GP had recently with two extraordinary women. Both of these talks happen live at our wellness summit in Health, which we just hosted in Los Angeles. In Health is designed to be a transformative experience based on the premise that slight shifts and small changes can add up to big things. And I think GP and our two guests today do a pretty brilliant job of bringing that idea to life. In this conversation, GP chats with writer, activist, and producer Janet Mock. Janet is a New York Times bestselling author of two books, Redefining Realness and Surpassing Certainty. She is a trailblazer for the trans community and in the culture overall for everyone. Janet and GP talk about what it's like to be on the front lines of a shifting culture in the moment that Janet realized she had to stop waiting for her role model and become the person she had been searching for. Before we get to Janet Mock, GP is going to tell us a bit about one of our partners.
0: There's an ongoing movement toward living a more plant-based lifestyle, which is something we spoke about at our Wellness Summit in Goop Health. I was really excited to learn that Bolt House Farms has a non-dairy plant protein milk. It's made with protein from peas. It's creamy and delicious and perfect for smoothies, coffees, and even baking. Plus, it is 10 grams of pea protein in every 8-ounce serving. It's also fortified with B12, a vital nutrient that a lot of vegans and vegetarians in particular are looking to add into their diets. For more information and for store locations for Bolthouse Farms plant protein milk, visit bolthouse.com.
1: Now let's get to G.P. and her conversation with Janet Mock.
0: Welcome.
2: Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here.
0: It was really a pleasure for me to do a little mini deep dive into your work and Mm -hmm. get to know you, you know, through research. And um, I was so struck by how much of a pioneer you are, which Mm -hmm. is something that resonates so much with me. And the bravery that it takes to be a pioneer in this day and age. Mm-hmm. So, for people who aren't as familiar with your background, could you give us a little, a couple words about your yeah. background? My background. Oh my God, where do I
2: start? I grew up in Honolulu, Hawaii. I was born, my parents' firstborn son, the middle of five kids. Um, I grew up in, on the island of Oahu, in a lower-income neighborhood called Kalihi. Um, I think the first thing that I probably knew about myself before I knew that I was a girl and that I was trans, because I didn't have language for that then, was that um, I was a brown child who was poor in America. And so I think that that shaped my sense of self. And then on top of that I learned as I went into adolescence that I was trans. And so much of my story and my journey is affected by those three things, Mm -hmm. class, race, and gender. And so, so much of the work that I've gone on to do really tries to unpack those things and make sure that I don't leave any parts of those things behind as I'm talking about, say, my transness or I'm talking about my womanhood or I'm talking about... Do you think they're inextricably
0: linked, those two things? For me, they are
2: because they all are within my body, right? and my experiences. Right. Um, and so we use big terms that come out of academia and feminist academia, like intersectionality, right, which describes the interlocking experiences that folk of color or women of color or someone who's disabled and a woman, right, all these different things that may complicate womanness. So when right. we say, we're all feminists and we care about all women, what does that really mean, right? And so like you talking about the shifting paradigm is really about how do we ensure that as we're fighting for ourselves and our own freedoms and liberations and choices, that we're also cognizant of a woman who may be disabled or a woman who's undocumented or a woman who's trans or a woman who has to make certain sacrifices for her own survival, like being engaged in sex work or the sex trade or any of these other things that folk have to do in order to Exist in a culture that's largely um, not respectful or uh, um, protective of of women.
0: Right. And so it's really about bringing in all of those different Mm -hmm. aspects of of femininity. And Mm -hmm. do you feel that you had a journey to get to complete self acceptance? Mm -hmm. Oh,
2: totally. Like, you know, when I moved to New York after undergrad, I went to NYU for graduate school to study journalism. My whole thing was like, I wanted to be a writer. Um, And so I was like, the only way that I could get paid to write is possibly to work for a newspaper or a magazine. Like I couldn't just go and write my own stories in my own voice from my own perspective. And so what I did was, I worked at People Magazine for a number of years, for about almost six years, and I hid behind very famous people's stories. (laughs) And so that was- Don't point at me. (laughs) You know, Gwyneth's nobody. Never mind. She's just a normal girl. Um, and so, you know, and so for me, it was an act of survival on many levels. It was me hiding from myself, me hiding from my own truth and my own experiences and stories. And it was also a means for me to to make money and survive in New York City. And so I think that when I was 26, I came to a point where I'd been working at this job for five years, supposedly my dream job, you know, with, you know, access to... You know, the fashion closet and the beauty closet and cool events and all this stuff. You know, the Carrie Bradshaw life that I thought I wanted. You know, I thought I was a second coming. (laughs) And I realized quickly that I wasn't fulfilled by that. And I think that we all have that. You know, I, I was told from a very early age that I was lucky to be in that room and to be in those spaces. So why would I sacrifice it by deciding to speak up and to tell my truth? And so for me, the real moment of, I think, um, my life opening up to greater abundance was me sitting down with myself at my desk and writing my own story to myself for mm. the first time. And that shifted and changed my life in ways that I would have never known. I've gone on to be able to write, you know, two books. I'm someone who's always loved writing and narrative um, and personal writing and narrative. I grew up loving Maya Angelou and Zorna Hurston and Alice Walker um, And to be able to go and add my own text and my own stories onto bookshelves for girls growing up like I did to be able to see
0: themselves has been really fulfilling for me. And I think that
2: I've been able to do that in the work that I've gone on to do beyond just writing about myself.
0: And (laughs) also in writing about yourself, you let so much of the world into your experience, Mm -hmm. which is deeply, incredibly personal. And so I just wanted to ask you, you know, in doing that, I think it requires a tremendous bravery because we're, we're at a time now, it's obviously much different than 50 years ago, but the subject of transgender mm-hmm. is just finally really proliferating the culture mm-hmm. and there's a sense of acceptability about it that has never existed before, mm-hmm. thanks to people like you who are willing to tell their stories and humanize. And you know, my ch- there's an all gender bathroom now at my children's school yeah. and things are really mm-hmm. changing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what is that like to kind of be right at the precipice mm. of a movement like that and put yourself out there and open yourself up to resistance or criticism mm. or, mm. you know, ignorant people mm. who are unwilling to open their minds and understand another way? Like, what, what, what was that experience yeah. like? What is it like?
2: I think growing up, I already had that. Like, even if within my own home, I had resistance, <laughs> right? You know, thinking about my parents and their own journeys with accepting me and coming to support me, um, I had to deal with the conflict that they had with it. they were raising a boy child in the world, and they were thinking that this is what they were supposed to do, which was to course correct me from anything feminine, from being feminine. And so for them, we had these struggles. And so I think that because I had it even within my own home, though my parents are supportive now and have been supportive throughout my journey, mm-hmm. I've come out of a space of always, and I think may, maybe many trans folk have this experience where you're constantly having to defend yourself in a world that's telling you that you're you know, illegitimate, that you're not real, um, that you're, you must be confused. And I think what's so interesting to me that I believe, I think that trans folk actually have to fight for their gender and their identity more than most people have to because everyone just takes it for granted that how they feel about themselves, their body, and the way and the messaging that the world tells them about who they can be as a man and or a woman, it just comes as innate. But for a lot of us, we've been questioning ever since we were so young. And so Mm. for me, that questioning from people outside of me, came very naturally. I had it in high school. I had it at home. Um, so when I had to go into the public stage right. and begin doing this work, I was kind of equipped because I've been trained my entire life. <laughs> um, and it takes a lot for me to get riled up by people's... And I think it maybe has a point to do with empathy.
0: Yeah.
2: I understand um, not understanding, right. Right, and not having answers, and not having the right language, and being afraid to speak about stuff or to ask questions. Because you don't want to come off as stupid or ignorant or mm. and I think most people fall into that than they do into the folk who are like, people are gonna rape women in the bathrooms, you know? Like I think that there's right. extremes. And so like we hear like those voices more loudly than we hear people who are truly just trying to understand and find right. language and understanding. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I think that I do this work and I put myself out there and make myself vulnerable and open to criticism, <clears throat> but also to love. Yes. and to greater understanding and acceptance. I mean, I do that for that, yes. right? For those people who I think are largely, you know, when we talk about in social justice circles, the movable middle. Most people are in that space than they are in the extremes, yeah. right? And so most people are just trying to figure out not only their own lives, right. but then also trying to learn about the world around them and are not necessarily looking to criticize and or attack.
0: And, and when, when that movable middle has a personal encounter with somebody Mm -hmm. that that's usually what it does, right? It doesn't even have to be in person, Mm -hmm. but they could read your book Mm -hmm. or...
2: Yeah, and it's all through storytelling for me. And so like, you know, starting with my own, you know, writing the first essay that I wrote about myself in 2011 when Mm -hmm. I was 26, when I first decided to step forward, you know, my entire life I waited for some girl to come along who would represent me. And the weird thing was that I then had to become that. right? And so that was not planned. right? And I was like, oh shit, I'm that girl, right? <laughs> like it was like...
0: Um, so amazing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and so strange, you know, cause it's, it, yeah. And so like now to have, you know, young women who've been, it's strange to be like raised on my work.
0: Absolutely. Who've like
2: come into their own identities and into their own strength and power because they've read what I've written online or read my books. Is, like I become an auntie, and I'm like, wait, girl, I'm only thirty-five. Like, take it down a notch. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. And so, like, I think that. But you know, I'm reminded every day of like the little points of purpose. And so, like, even you know, I have a connection with Gwyneth because her, I was gonna, yeah, talk her about fella um, <laughs> is in the writers' room with me. He's the executive producer and co-creator. So of So Janet is
0: a writer on Pose, which is the new show on FX that my fiance is yeah. also a producer on <laughs> and a writer. <laughs> yeah. Um, And that was actually something that I was going to ask you about because you migrated from being a journalist to an autobiographist, Mm -hmm. and now you're a television writer. And Mm -hmm. she just directed her first episode of uh, Pose, which I'm so excited to see. (laughs) Um, And she knows how awesome my fiancé is from just regular days at work. (laughs) (laughs) And it's very highly
2: inappropriate when Gwyneth posts shirtless photos (laughs) Of your coworker, and you're like, wait, he has all of that? Like, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? Bradley? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's not. I'm like, he's a snack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, I had
0: no idea. <laughs> oh, I love it. The, ne- the next time I do it, I'm gonna do it for you.
2: <laughs> but like, I would think I was going to your, you know, the idea you said, like, most people will only know through narrative, right? Right. Like, through my own. And so the great potential of, you know, when Ryan Murphy and um, Brad Falchuk asked me to be a part of this show, um, it was about that, that we would have this show set in 1980s New York City um, with five trans women as the leads of a series on television, yeah. the potential for that. and. The potential for people to now say that they may have never known a trans person in their life right or never deeply engaged and that they would for two months in the year right be able to engage with five different trans women and see that number one we're not all the same that we're not a monolith that we have different dreams and visions and hopes for our future that we you know fight with one another (laughs) that we gossip and we do all the things and then we also reach and we want and we desire and that we, and in a sense of that, by giving space over to these women on the show, we say that they're deserving, right? And that we, the collective we are deserving of being seen and heard, and embraced and loved and brought into, other, into, people's, into right. people's homes.
0: And what is it like for you now to participate in this cultural event that is this successful TV show on FX, where you are now co-creating more models like you of trans women? I don't know what that's like
2: yet. There's <laughs> a lot to, to process. You know, when we um, were talking backstage, it was like, it's a lot. Like, I'm yeah. sure that you understand this on some level. You create, you know, you engage in projects and you put so much of yourself into them and you want them to be great. And, you know, the storytelling process for me is great, but then the sharing process is the next piece. And so yeah. I have seen people who have felt that for the first time in their lives, they're seeing themselves in their totality. Very um, moving. On television. Yeah. Um, and I like,
0: think they did that f- with glee in a certain yeah. respect as mm-hmm. well. I mean Completely. what they did for homosexual mm-hmm. youth mm-hmm. in America mm-hmm. and giving examples of, of that and, and and this is like the next yeah. frontier. And yeah, it's yeah, so anytime. Beautiful you bring, to see. Yeah, you
2: bring outsiders in and to make them the center, right? The people who are yeah. often in the peripheral who are the sidekicks are now the heroines and heroes of yeah. their own stories and narratives.
0: Are there times that because you're such a trailblazer, you have felt sensationalized Mm -hmm. or exposed by, you know, sometimes I've felt that way Mm -hmm. on on my journey and I wonder if Mm -hmm. you've experienced that, you know, because you're, to tell your true story, it has to be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. like it's such a vulnerable Mm -hmm. subject matter in a way. Mm -hmm. So have you, how have you, have you felt that way and how have you dealt with it or what have you learned from the process? I think for me,
2: you know, as someone who's written memoirs specifically and has written about the self, um, because I've created and reclaimed my own narrative and experiences, I feel empowered in that way, so mm-hmm. then when I come forward, there's nothing that anyone can say about me that I haven't already said about myself. Right. And so if I have in my entire, probably at least since I was 12 years old when I first came out to my parents, I committed to telling the truth, regardless of the consequences, right? And so. For me, having that be my moral compass in the foundation to any kind of public platform or podium that I choose to stand in front of, that has helped me just right. have a, a you're greater in integrity. Resolve. So all yeah. the time. Yeah, and so for me, you know, someone calling me, you know, a man, or someone calling me, you know, fake, or someone calling me an abomination of, you know, their Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't really affect me because I know my I know who I am. Wow. Right. And, and so I think the pioneer piece, the thing that I'm always afraid of, is I think tokenization is one. Yeah. You know, like, am I really contributing? Am I being really invited into these spaces to right. be truly heard and to really contribute? Um, I think another level of that is mm-hmm. um, the duty um, and the burden of representation, because I'm only one person and I only have my experiences, and so my experiences oftentimes become the gateway for other people to understand trans folk. But I'm not the only trans person in the world. Right. But you know, I have a platform, and so therefore people hear from me more than they would hear from someone who may be more vulnerable than I am right. in their own experiences. And then just you know, being the first, I think being the first is tough. Yes. Um, and it's you know, I think that my work is to ensure that. You know, I may come into these spaces and be the first in these spaces, but to ensure that when I leave, I'm not the only and the last. Um, and so, I hope that my work, and my telling my truth, and bringing my sisters and my siblings in with me, that it that it creates a space of empowerment for other you know folk like me to be able to say that I too can do this, and that I'm deserving of
1: being of being here and being That's seen. That's beautiful. We'll have more of GP's conversation with Janet Mock in a minute. In the meantime, let's talk about one of our partners.
0: When I wrote my cookbook, It's All Good, in 2012, people were shocked at the theory that many of us might not be able to tolerate gluten and dairy, a theory first proposed to me by a pediatrician in London. But in the last several years, this idea has turned a lot more mainstream. There are so many great alternatives available now for people who feel better after eliminating dairy from their diet. One that I'm very excited about in particular is the non-dairy Bolthouse Farms plant protein milk. It's made with protein from peas. But besides the fact that it's vegan and non-GMO, it has 10 grams of pea protein per 8-ounce serving to be exact. It's also fortified with B12, a vital nutrient that a lot of vegans and vegetarians are looking to add into their diets. We used it in a really delicious blueberry chia bowl that we ate at In Goop Health. For more information and for store locations for Bolthouse Farms plant protein milk, visit bolthouse.com.
1: Okay, let's get back to GP and Janet.
0: I think... So the culture feels this sharp learning curve Mm -hmm. around the subject and I think a lot of people are completely open to the shift Mm. but are terrified to say the wrong Mm -hmm. thing uh, or ask the wrong no. question, or and I was saying to Janet before, I really need her to help me because with all the terms, mm-hmm. because am I a cis normative? Cis normative. What am I? I well, how, I think well, number one, how would you identify, right? I think it's more about. But I that. don't want to. I don't want to say the wrong thing.
2: <laughs> no, but how do you, you know? How do you identify? I right? identify
0: <laughs> as a female born into a female mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. So that would be
2: your cis, you're a cis a cisgender woman.
0: cisgender woman, okay. and so like,
2: and so there's trans and there's cis. So these okay. are prefixes to the word gender or sexual. Okay. Right. So like, there's a transsexual, there's transgender, there's cissexual, and there's cisgender. So trans means to cross. Okay. Right. Like just in terms of just language, English. Right. Trans right. means to cross, and cis means to stay on the same side of. So it's like it's chemi- it's chemistry terms.
0: Okay. I was I'm wondering not a where it came from.
2: So trans and cis bonds. So, trans means that it crosses over, the bond crosses, okay. and cis means that it stays on the same side of. Okay. And so, you, in your experience, um, describing yourself as female born in a female body, right? you came into the world, your parents knew that they were having a baby girl because there was a presence of a vagina, right? Right, And so therefore, luckily as you grew up, you were just like, I'm a girl and that's how I identify. right? And so your sex, the genitals, right? The genital and the sexual organs matched the way that you saw yourself in the world in terms of all of the rituals, roles, and rules that they say that girls are supposed to be. Okay. So that was aligned for you. So you, that all stayed on the same side. Right. Now, what if now, I for was a me, lesbian, no. <laughs> but I? But that's your sexuality. Okay. So there's your gender so I, identity. Then I would be
0: a cis. A cis lesbian. Cis lesbian. Yeah. Ah, this is so liberating. So like,
2: so my one of one of the great the great ways of unpacking this right is that I, how I've always explained it to myself is that your gender is your sexuality. Is who you go to bed with. Your gender is who you go to bed as.
0: Okay. That's great. Does that? Yes, definitely. Does that sink in? Yeah. And also because I think um, if you say, like for example, you are a woman who mm-hmm. was born with mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. genitalia, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's with a penis, yeah, born with a penis. We can say that. <laughs> this is a health conference. Yeah. Penis and vagina. <laughs> <laughs>
2: She's like being so respectful. She's like, with you know, different genitalia. Um, yes, I was a girl with a penis. <laughs> you are um, a girl with a penis. And so, yeah. And then, you know, for me in my own journey and the way that I saw my own body, I wanted and needed to have, and I felt it medically necessary for myself to have. Um, sexual reassignment surgery right, right? Um, as, at a young age, which I was just lucky that I had access to, but a lot of trans folk don't want to have those kind of medical interventions right. and so I think that when I say talk the burden of representation is that you know I have my personal experience and how I see my body and how I see myself in the world, but another person who's trans may see it differently right and they may be fine like so many of our characters on pose. Who don't want to have bottom surgery right you know who don't want to have that and who still see themselves and are fully embodied as women and so like i think that all of us you know the body is a place of struggle right in some ways and we try to come to contentment and Mm -hmm. celebration and i think that for trans folk we have to we have to grapple with those things and figure out what's the right thing for us personally in terms of our own have you ever thought about this
0: like have you ever thought what what is the universal lesson mm. for mm. you for me yeah like what is terms, yours i don't know i don't what know i mean you know, I, I think <clears throat> like, what is I, I really believe that we're born and we're given a set of sp- problems that are or obstacles that are specific mm. to us mm-hmm. that we are meant to be here and overcome you know so for example for me i think a lot of it was about uh, fully inhabiting and being fully self-accepting and mm. i think uh, this idea of wellness comes from truly accepting yourself mm. and even more than that forgiving yourself mm. and that mm. if you haven't forgiven yourself you're not starting from a place of of wellness and my lessons have been specific to that getting to a place of like true self-forgiveness mm. and so i'm just wondering like if you were to have a peek into what the specific obstacles that God has given you, what do you think your big lessons are? I think,
2: for, I think probably one of the first lessons that I learned was that, you know, turning down the volume and the chatter of those around me and what they're saying that I should be yeah. versus turning that up internally in my own voice of what I know, the whispers within myself, to try to get that to come out. Right, and say what I believe myself to be. You know, I w- I learned very early on, you know, through my parents who were not trying to wrong me; they were trying to do right. But I think that they told me over and over again that I was wrong, and that I needed to change. Um, and then society, on top of that, told me that. And so, I think it's a lot to listen to yourself and to it's come
0: extraordinary.
2: Yeah, to listen to yourself, not just as a young person, but any of us, and to say that what I and who I know myself to be is truth. Yeah. And that though there's science and there's you know, doctors and there's parents and there's teachers and there's everyone around you, a chorus of voices that are telling you, no, 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 no. And you say, no, yes, yes, this is how it is. And so leading mm-hmm. for me, leading with that, I think has been, um, I think one of the greatest lessons that I had to learn. I think that my work, I think through storytelling um, through truth telling, has been able to, I hope, empower other people yeah. to feel as if they too can, can stand firmly in who they know themselves to be and what their truth is.
0: Yeah, I think you know, so many women in today's society are in, you know, are bumping up against that idea of I'm, I think, I'm only allowed to be this. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Th- my my parents, my significant other, my children are telling me that this is who I am and what I'm capable of, and I actually think it's you know, one of the reasons why women are tired Mm -hmm. is because we, you know, a lot of us have been trying to suppress all aspects of ourselves. And, you know, now I I do think, and I say this all the time, we're living in this time where we're allowed to start to be so many things at Mm -hmm. once. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to see somebody with your bravery who's like able Mm -hmm. to be emblematic of that in Mm -hmm. such a beautiful, strong way, Mm -hmm. that incredible self-acceptance and there's so much strength in, mm-hmm. like, the vulnerability of telling your story. And now, to me, it's so moving when, you know, when I watched Pose and was able to see these women and hear their s- stories, mm-hmm. you know, to, as told through fiction, but mm-hmm. to understand. And I think it's, it's really powerful. And now you're going to be a big deal TV director. And it's just, you know, <laughs> it's very exciting. Um, so do you have advice for... Mm those of us who have children who mm-hmm. might be struggling yeah. with... I have a, a close friend whose mm-hmm. son, he's, he's definitely gay. He came out when he was nine, but mm-hmm. he's not sure yet. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, again, like his mother's incredibly open-minded, but yeah. I think sometimes she, she worries, like, what's the right thing? Like, what do I say? How am I there mm-hmm. for him? How do I help mm-hmm. him? What would your advice be for her? I think what my
2: parents eventually did right, specifically my mom, was that she listened more than she talked, in that when she felt any fears and or worries about things that I said, or the way that I was, or the way that I was expressing myself, or the friends that I had, or the clothes that I chose to wear, she didn't bring that to me. Mm -hmm. She took that to adults that she can go talk to, so that I didn't internalize um, even more at home in the space that's supposed to be my refuge and my safety, that I was incorrect, or that what I was doing I needed to hide. And so she gave me space to be open And then by being open at home, I was then able to go out in the world, in a world that's not going to be as accepting, right, right? and face that that conflict on a daily basis, and then come home and still have that refuge, because my mom nodded more than she shook her head, right, that she listened more than she talked or preached to me, that she embraced me when I told her that I'm not, you know, your son, I'm your daughter, Um, and that my name is Janet, and that... I need you and I need your help. Um, She didn't have the answers. You know, we're not, it's not the culture that we're in now (laughs) where you can have a show like Pose on and that you can have people who have books and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so, like, she didn't have answers, um, but she helped me lead the way in my own journey, right? Mm -hmm. And so she jumped on board pretty quickly, even though I know she had reservations and doubts and uncertainties about future and fears about someone hurting me or right. me never finding love or me never finding fulfillment and happiness um, and yeah and so I think that as a parent um, having that um, finding spaces in which people can can listen to you as well probably will help but I think really the the sense of of listening and also realizing that your children um, and their journeys have nothing to do with you And it's not a reflection of you and or your parenting and your own ego stuff Mm -hmm. about like what you believed your child's supposed to be or the expectations that you thrust onto them before they even happened to come into the world. Um, And that being open to greater possibilities. I know that, you know, for my mom, you know, now we're best friends. But when I was younger, there was struggle, right? And so like, I think that I've taught her a lot just as much as she's taught me a lot about greater acceptance about tolerance about um, learning how to advocate you know right. she advocated for me a lot when I was in high school as well which really helped pave the way for me and mm-hmm. so yeah I feel like that's, that's beautiful advice for all, no but for yeah. all of
0: us who are mothers and thank you so I could yeah. talk to you all day but we're out yeah. of time thank you so much for <laughs> thank you, being
2: here you're amazing
1: That was inspiring. I really love Janet's advice for parents whose children are struggling to be seen by society for who they are. Listen more than you talk, which is really something that can help all of us to more clearly see and connect to others. To keep up with Janet, check out JanetMock.com, pick up her incredibly moving books, Redefining Realness and Surpassing Certainty, and watch Pose on FX. She is a writer, director, and producer on the show. And if you're interested in learning more about InGoop Health, check out goop.com slash InGoop Health. There's also a digital pass for sale for anyone who wants to watch all the talks that went down at our last summit. Before we officially wrap for the day, GP is going to answer a question from one of you guys.
0: Amy would like to know what has been my greatest regret. Amy I think I don't have any regrets because I've tried and failed and lived and loved and hurt so many ways and I think that you know I could get myopic and say oh I regret the time that you know I I hurt this person I said the wrong thing I didn't handle that well and of course we all have a million of those things but I think your question is more you know Do I have a big regret in my life? And I would say, I don't.
1: Have a question for GP? Drop us a line at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. That's it for this special episode of the Goop podcast. We'd love to know what you think. Please rate, review, and share with your friends. To keep up with new episodes, just hit subscribe. And for more info, head over to goop.com slash the podcast. See you on Thursday.